Hello, we're now into the last part of Judges. And we, some people have called this the appendix because we're past the 12 Judges and there's a couple of final stories that are just a little crazy. <laughs> we'll get to that, but first let's read. There was a man of the hill country of Ephraim whose name was Micah. He said to his mother, the 1100 pieces of silver that were taken from you, about which you uttered a curse and also spoke it in my ears, behold, the silver is with me, I took it. His mother said, may Yahweh bless my son. He restored the 1100 pieces of silver to his mother and then his mother said, I most certainly dedicate the silver to Yahweh from my hand of my son to make a carved image and a molten image. Now therefore I will restore it to you. When he restored the money to his mother, his mother took 200 pieces of silver and gave them to a silversmith who made a carved image and a molten image out of it. It was in the house of Micah. The man Micah had a house of gods and he made an ephod and teraphim and consecrated one of his sons who became his priest. In those days there was no king in Israel. Everyone did that which was right in his own eyes. There was a young man out of Bethlehem Judah of the family of Judah who was Levite and he lived there. The man departed out of the city of Bethlehem to live where he could find a place and he came to the hill country of Ephraim to the house of Micah as he traveled. Micah said to him, where did you come from? He said to him, I am a Levite of Bethlehem Judah and I am looking for a place to live. Micah said to him, dwell with me and be to me a father and a priest and I will give you 10 pieces of silver per year, a suit of clothing and your food. So the Levite went in. The Levite was content to dwell with the man and the young man was to him as one of his sons. Micah consecrated the Levite and the young man became his priest and was in the house of Micah. Then Micah said, now I know that Yahweh will do good to me since I have a Levite as my priest. So we've been through the book of Judges. It's got 21 chapters. We're up to chapter 17 and all the chapters up to chapter 16 cover the 12 Judges. But now we've got these five extra chapters and some people call it the appendix of, ju of Judges, you know, like the extra bit. And because um, it is a bit different to the others, the other parts. Now we've covered the 12 Judges and they were roughly in chronological order, but not quite. Because as we got to the second half of the Judges, some of those Judges were consecutive. They're like, you know, they're at the same time. But now we've got to the appendix we're now hearing some stories that are definitely not chronological. These are not coming after the 12 Judges. These are back in the period of the 12 Judges. So unless you're really paying attention and really, you know, put, put some effort in to understand, you could just think that these stories happened at the end of the period of the Judges. And because they're really crazy, you get the impression that things got worse and worse and worse. And then you've got these couple of crazy stories and we, we haven't even got through the crazy stories yet. All we've done is read about this fellow Micah and the, and the idol that he made in his house. The story's gonna get really crazy in the next few chapters. And the, you do get the impression from judges that things get worse and worse and worse as you go along. However, <laughs> and that's more or less true, it's just that the stories we're about to read happened early in the period of the judges. So that gives you a sense that crazy things were happening at the beginning uh, it wasn't just at the end. 
uh, not that it's funny or anything like that. So we, we've got to this, th there's basically two stories in the final five chapters, and both of them are nuts. So this first story is chapters 17, 18, 19, and then the last story is chapters 20, 21. And um, in, this, in this story, we've got what seems like very sincere behavior, but behavior that we know is completely wrong. Because we've just been through the whole Bible, we've been through the law of Moses, we've learned how God wanted this nation to run, but we see here people that are doing things completely wrong, but thinking that they're serving Yahweh. Like this woman, she had 1,100 pieces of silver, which is a lot. It's, the, it's pretty much the same amount of money that, that Delilah got paid for betraying Samson. She got paid 1,000 pieces of silver, five lots of 200 from each of the five Philistine cities, but this lady had 1,100 pieces of silver, very roughly the same amount, and it went missing from her house because people didn't have, there was no banking back then, so you hid money in your, in your home or you hid it underneath your tent or various places, and then it goes missing, and so she curses the person who took it. Now her son overhears the curse and realizes, oh, I'm cursed, so he returns the money, not because he feels bad, but because he doesn't want to be cursed, and so she blesses him. She doesn't bless him because, um, because of this uh, kind of sense of, I want you to be blessed. The impression you get is she blesses him because she wants to overrule the curse that she's put upon him, because these things are taken way more seriously than what we do today. We know that blessings and cursing is real, but we don't tend to hold the same level of weight to it as what they did back then, although we should, because words have a huge effect. But so she realizes that, oh, my son's done the right thing, he's returned the money, but I don't want that curse to be remaining on him, so she blesses him, and then she thanks Yahweh and commissions a silversmith to make an idol for Yahweh. So you can see that she's very sincere she thinks that what she's doing is something that will please the Lord. But she's completely mistaken because she's making an idol. She obviously doesn't know what the Lord requires. And all the way through this, this chapter and the chapters that are to follow, we see this very sincere type of behavior. Um, the prophet uh, Samuel, who wrote all of this, he said that in these days there was no king and everyone did whatever they wanted. Well, we can see that. But because there was no king and because there was no central organized system, people didn't seem to have any, um, you know, they didn't seem to have a sense of direction. But I think what we forget is we forget that, that uh, first, there's, there's a number of things I think we forget. First of all, we forget that they weren't literate, or at least the majority of them are not literate. So they can't read anything. They can't read a Bible, and there's no Bible to read. So the law of Moses was handed down in the desert when they were a tribe, when they were the tribes all together as a nation. But now they've come into the promised land and they've spread out everywhere. They're all over the place. So there's no central system, like there's no Moses or there's no Joshua to round them all up and say, here, this is what the Lord says. So evidently that type of thing isn't happening. There's no one telling them this is what the Lord says. And um, because there's no king, no one's making it happen. 
Now the Lord had said to them in the law of Moses, you must teach your children these things, but evidently parents haven't done that. So you've had generations rise up that haven't been properly taught, then they haven't known what to teach their children either. So you end up with this sense of obligation to Yahweh, you know, he's our God, but really not following him properly or at all. And so we've got this, this guy Micah, he lives in Ephraim, this whole thing happens, he ends up making an idol to, that he thinks is for Yahweh, he thinks he's really worshipping Yahweh, and he gets one of his sons to be a priest. But along comes this Levite. Now we're going to find out in the next chapter the shock identity of the Levite. <laughs> and it is a shock, it's a real shock. But the author, Samuel, is keeping it a secret in this chapter. He's going to tell us at the end of the next chapter. Don't go looking it up. You wait till tomorrow. <laughs> and um, so the shock identity. Now, it says here that he was a Levite from Bethlehem in Judah. And um, when we were doing the distribution of the land to all the different tribes, you know, every tribe had an area, but the Levites were also dispersed throughout all the tribes. So this Levite came from from Bethlehem in Judah, so he was a Kohathite. Because when we read, read about the distribution of the Levites, they were given certain towns to live in. Well, the Kohathites were given towns in Judah and Benjamin. So we know that this guy is a Kohathite. So you know, Levi, he had three sons, Gershon, uh, Kohath, and Merari. Now all the sons and, and you know, the family line of, Ger of uh, Kohath, they were the ones that served in the temple as priests. The Gershonites and the Merarites, they served in other ways. Now they served the Lord, but they just weren't actual priests. So this guy's a Levite from Judah. It doesn't say he's a Kohathite, but we know he is because that's where Kohathites came from. So this guy is an actual priest. He would have been rostered on, you know, to take his turn at Shiloh in the tabernacle. But he's now given a job offer opportunity he can't refuse. <laughs> 10 pieces of silver a year, plus food, lodging, and clothing. Now that gives you a bit of an idea of how much money the 1,100 pieces of silver was at the start of this chapter. Because here's this guy getting 10 pieces of silver plus food, lodging and clothing as his annual wage. So the 1,100 pieces of silver is a lot. So now this guy is a priest. He, does, he offers sacrifices towards this silver idol. And as we're going to find out in the chapters ahead, people come to him and consult him to find out what God is saying. So now we've got like a, an alternate tabernacle set up in this guy's house, and all of this is completely sincere. People actually think that they're following God when they come to this place. So, this is the world in the time of the judges. They're not doing what God wants at all, but they completely think they are. And we've got to make sure we don't fall into the same trap. And what's that trap? The trap is thinking that we're doing things that, that pleases God when we're not. It's a very, very easy trap to fall into, and it comes from not knowing what our Lord wants. Now, we think, you know, because we've grown up in church, we go to services regularly, we've, we've got a Bible, we just assume that the way we understand it is correct, and we just assume that whatever we think God wants and we do is serving Him. Well, there's only one way to know for sure. <laughs> it's to actually consider the question. You know, it's actually stop and say, you know, does the Lord approve of my behavior? And if we're not 100% sure, we can go back to the scriptures and we can go back to prayer and say, Lord, I want to 
I want to serve you in the way that pleases you, and we can check it with him. And um, But these people didn't do that. It didn't, didn't even cross their mind that that would be something to do. So this here, according to, I'm pretty sure that according to Josephus, so Josephus wrote not an, another history of the Jews from the beginning of the world up to the fall of, of Jerusalem in um, AD 70. So he wrote all of that period of history. And when he was covering the judges, he said that this story took place during the first judge Othniel, the nephew of Caleb. So this is only around about uh, 40 to 50 years after the Israelites entered into the promised land. And around about, well, Joshua died 25 years after the pro they entered the promised land. And then it was only one more generation when these things took place. So it's, it's early. And um, as the story unfolds in the next few chapters, you're going to see how crazy it gets. And you're going to realize this craziness was early. And it all comes from assuming that people knew what the Lord wanted. Heavenly Father, we ask you to forgive us for the sin of assuming, which we all do. And I ask for grace to be extended to us. Lord, we bring before you our lives and we ask you, Lord, to, to guide us and direct us. We ask, Lord, that your will would be clear to us that if in any way we're serving you, uh, even if it's sincerely but m mistakenly, I ask, Lord, that you would give to us wisdom, understanding and truth. Help us to walk in truth. Help us to be a light that shines for Christ, not for ourselves, not for our own glory, but in service to the Lord. I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.